With LinkedIn Jobs, we tap into a network of more than a billion professionals to help you find quality professionals quickly and easily for any role you need. Marketing wizards? Found them. Software engineers? Found. That project manager I could never seem to hire? And found. LinkedIn Jobs quickly matches your roles with candidates with the right skills and experience. In fact, 86% of small businesses get a qualified candidate within 24 hours. Post your first job for free and get started at linkedin.com slash spoken. That's linkedin.com slash spoken. Terms and conditions apply. We're so glad you've chosen to tune in to DLC, especially if you are one of our geeks in sneaks using this podcast to power you through a workout or a run. We're going to be with you in your ear holes for 90 plus minutes because DLC is your downloadable commentary for the week delivered the way we love it to be. And that is completely free. Thanks to our sponsors this week. Gamefly and Brooklyn in. They're bringing the show to you. DLC, of course, the show all about games and their many forms. Games played on desktops, laptops, and consoles, and also games that involve dice, luck, and cardboard. I am your host, Jeff Kanata. That's spelled with two N's and one T. And I am joined, as always, by my friend slash co-host slash nemesis. The guy who ends every game he plays with a walk-off. It's just not necessarily a home run. Mr. Christian Spicer. Hello, Christian. Ooh, my little baby heart can't handle. So I'm a Astros fan, number one, but I adopted the Dodgers very quickly and to have like I've been here, what, five, six years now to have two of my both teams uh, still going in these. And oh, they're always one of the ninth inning. I it's uh, trying, but exciting. Did you see that last night? That walk off? Oh, I did. I did. Oh, my well, goodness. Just yeah. a turner. Yeah. Uh, but we're not talking about sports. No, we're talking about games and we got lots of games to talk about, man. What it, what a time of year, what a, what a year and what a time of year to talk about video games. We've got lots of news. We got games to talk about because they're releasing hot and heavy every single week leading up to the holidays. And we have, ladies and gentlemen, an awesome guest to do it with. We are excited. DLC, of course, always stands for your downloadable Kanata and your downloadable Christian. But this week, Oh, man, I'm really thrilled because DLC stands for Delivering Laughs at CNET because she's funny, she's charming, she's informative, she's a good human, and she just happens to be one of my very favorite people on the planet. Ms. Ashley Esqueda is here back with us. Hey, Ashley. Hi, friends. Hi. The last time I was here, I was on the hype train, the E3 hype train. That's right. It's been too long since we've had you back. and Way uh, too long. Yeah. We hosted and, a whole show between... Visits. <laughs> That's true. That's true. Yes, we saw lots of each other for a while, and then and then and then not so much anymore. So I miss you very much. Same. And producer Logan says hello, and he Aww. also misses you. I just well, wish we all lived in the same city and like kind of did the same thing for work, so we could run into each other from time to honestly, time. Honestly. That's true, but I I kind of wish we all lived in the same apartment building, like Tomodachi Life. Yes, oh, Melrose Place, but video game style. But video game mm. style. I think that would be really great. Why can't we make that happen, guys? Is that too hard? No, hey, I'm going to edit this part out. We just pitched a show and then be like, hey, did, why was Ashley feeding my Tomagachi when she should have been taking care of it? Because it's real sassy because it's Melrose Place. 
Oh, you're talking. <laughs> so you're talking uh, to the camera. With you're the, welcome, you know. Hollywood. Yeah. <laughs> Ashley, I, before we even get into the show, I have to talk to you a little bit about the Nintendo World Championships because you just got back from New York recently where you helped host that event. It was awesome. You were awesome. It was really fun to watch. I want to hear your account of that, what it was like being there. Oh, my gosh. Okay, well, first of all, it was super fun. Um, and we were so excited as casters i was one of the only so there were three non-nintendo employees that were there it was jordan kent who is like the voice that uh everyone's sort of familiar with now he's the main caster he's brilliant so good at what he does it's ridiculous and then andrea renee was down uh on the floor hosting the show like taking us through everything and then i came in for uh, the middle block of games so i did mario kart 8 deluxe i did uh Donkey Kong Country Returns. Um, I did Splatoon 2, of course. Uh, and then I did Tetris, which um I was I was very surprised by when they told us that, that would that would be one of the games we were casting. I said, How can we make this exciting? And turns out it is exciting when the kids don't know what the heck Tetris is. Oh man. Because <laughs> they were like 12-year-olds, right? There were some one of the the youngest competitor was eight. Wow. Yeah, and uh, and he awesome. was actually pretty good. And so um it was really cool. Like it was really fun to do and uh it was it was super neat to sort of be a part of it because when I was a kid I loved the movie The Wizard right. and I wanted so badly to go compete in in the Nintendo World Championship and to if I told 8-year-old me that I would be uh not only at Nintendo World Championships just to see it but a part of it uh, it would have blown my little mind. So it was just um it was an incredible experience and and the people at Nintendo are just really nice and and really cool and I got to cast some of my favorite <laughs> favorite games uh and uh and it was it was just really really fun and and it was exciting. Like so many of the things came down to the wire like at the very end uh that <laughs> Mario versus Luigi for Super Mario Brothers Deluxe was just uh it was in, it was insane. It was insane yeah. to watch. So I, yeah, I highly it recommend like it's it's her. almost five hours long, so split it up during the week, but I highly recommend that uh, you watch it if you haven't. I think Nintendo has the whole uh cast up on their YouTube channel. Yeah, I think the best part about it was, you know, we're sort of used to this esports environment of highly competitive, the best of the best, high pressure, high octane, all that stuff. And to be reminded that a bunch of kids can have fun competing against one another and it can be a real wholesome, positive environment. I just I just thought that was a really different side of the esports phenomenon and one that I think Nintendo – they're the perfect company to enforce that, to reinforce that. I don't and know. They did Jeff, such a good job. You didn't see the kids that were running next to the car on the way home for finishing second. <laughs> you no think one. it was friendly and and all fun and games, but oh, there were tears. And your brother gets a milkshake because your brother knows how to play the game, Brent. And uh, there's a lot. It was, whew, it was, yeah, it was, yeah. Intense. Actual seats are for winners, right? Uh huh. Uh huh. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Exactly. You gotta run, run next to the car. Um, one of the things that I thought was really interesting. There was an article. I don't like obviously speak for Nintendo. I don't work for them. Uh, but there was an article that went up where they are kind of adamant about not using the term esports, and I think that's right. really interesting yeah. because it, it, like you said, it sort of evokes this hyper competitiveness, um, and and sort of those images and thoughts of, you know, the South Korean teams who live in communal buildings and practice, you know, 
14 hours a day and are coached. And I mean, this is like an, it's an, it's an industry. And so, and I think Nintendo is just trying really hard to kind of keep it friendly and fun. And, um, and they were very good at, uh, they were very good at sort of being really encouraging to all of the contestants. Um, so even after they had been eliminated in the back, like people were high-fiving them and telling them they did a great job. And it was just, it was a very, um, and, and the other contestants too were just, they were all very supportive of each other, which was, which was awesome. We had a little sort of rap party afterwards and a lot of the contestants were there. And, uh, even some of the kids that were getting us to sign their posters and they were all playing Mario Kart together and they had their switches out and it was, um, it was great. Like everybody just was really friendly with each other and, it was really nice. Yeah. Love it. All right. Let's get into the show and start the way we always do with Story of the Week. Story of the Week. It's the Story of the Week. Story of the Week. It's the Story of the Week. Story of the Week is the part of the show where we make our case for the most important stories that happen in the world of games this week. And you can always submit stories for our consideration by visiting our subreddit, which is 5x5dlc.reddit.com. Really cool folks hanging out there, submitting stories, talking about the show, talking about video games in general. So I recommend swinging by and hanging out. Ashley, you are our guest, so you get first pick of stories. Uh, What would you consider to be your story of the week? I mean, I I think we got to go with the Battlefront 2 loot box problems, <laughs> concerns, comments, yes. questions. Yeah. This is uh this is something that's been uh Wait, wait, wait. To talk about this, you got to roll. And if you get a 6 or above, we'll talk about it. If you don't, we won't. <laughs> yeah. It's random, it's generated and And also you have to be very high level. Yeah. Yes. Or if you give level. me $10, we can talk about it, Ashley, but I <laughs> I don't make the rules, you know. I'll write you a check. Okay, Can you great. accept uh, uh, Apple Pay? Always, yeah. <laughs> Uh, that means we pay you in apples. Okay, anyway, um, <laughs> the 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 entire video game industry has been consumed by this, and for good reason. It seems like every release, every big release, is involving loot boxes at this point. Um, Shadow of War, a primarily single player game, involves loot boxes. Forza Seven and Star Wars Battlefront Two, which actually hasn't even come out yet, but we got a uh, a beta demo version that included a lot of this functionality. And uh, Christian was talking about it last week. Uh, and it does seem to be tied into progression. So uh, the beta ended for Battlefront 2. And it sounds like EA heard people's complaints and they released a statement saying th- that they have heard, that we've we've heard the community, they say, uh, and that we are looking at uh, loot crates and progression and a lot of other things uh, in, in, that people have complained about. But it sounds interesting that they say that uh, the complete system was not in the beta and will continue to be tuned over time. As a balance goal, we're working towards having the most powerful items in the game only earnable via in-game achievements. Now, the term most powerful items certainly leans a lot, leaves a lot of wiggle room uh, for you know general progression to be inside those loot boxes and just the sort of high-end top-tier stuff. And also they're working t- – like how is it like, – I don't develop games. So I don't want this to come across overly snarky or sassy. I don't know the work, but it's like it is or it isn't. Like the game, your work, the game comes out very soon. <laughs> you know, it just seems yeah, like – well. It, back hope. in the day, a beta actually meant that the game was going to change between when a beta came out and the game came out. That is not really the case anymore. But maybe there's still time for them to, to you know, take people's considerations into My question here is, you know, okay, only the most powerful items will be – you have to earn them in-game. That's fine. But are they saying then – to me, this says – 
we're going to allow loot boxes to help you get to the most those most powerful weapons, which in essence is still exactly the problem, right? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I guess the idea being that at least we're not going to charge you human dollars for them uh, outright. But um, yeah, it's still problematic to say you're just hoping for a chance to get the cool thing rather than knowing there's a clear path to progression. Yeah, I mean, I, full disclosure, my my brother works for Blizzard. He works on Heroes of the Storm, uh, not Overwatch. But I really feel like the, one of the only companies to have gotten this kind of right is is Blizzard. Um because it's all cosmetic it doesn't you don't get uh you know that that boba fett one in that pack where it was like 100 percent damage decrease or whatever it's just like you're basically invincible for a short period of time like that kind of stuff is i think uh i think it just promotes like really salty gameplay right so it's just like oh well i don't have any money i'm a 16 year old kid who's worried about getting into college uh, i don't ha- i can't spend you know my allowance on xyz because my parents are making me pay for car insurance or, you know, whatever, you know, that's, that seems really unfair. It seems unfair to punish people who, you know, are basically playing the game the most, right? But maybe just don't have the money to invest in those loot boxes. Or just are unlucky that their loot box keeps right. coming up, you know, keeps coming up, not the thing they want, not Boba yeah. Fett. Yeah. I mean, it's like my, my good friend, uh, Stephanie Cookies is my, she's my ha- other half of my pharmacy in Overwatch. And like, you know, the worst thing that happens to us when we get loot boxes is, oh, we got four dupes. And she's really unlucky with that. She gets four dupes a lot. <laughs> and yeah. so we it's a joke. But, you know, it's like she doesn't feel resentment about it. Well, we got a few emails about this because we were talking about it a little bit last week as well when this kerfuffle was was bubbling up. Uh, and I made that case that that I think Blizzard is one of those companies that does a really good job with it. And I actually kind of dig the process of opening a loot box. There is a bit of joy in in that, you know, pulling the lever on that, you know, that, that uh, slot, slot machine. machine. Yeah. yeah. And uh, uh, we got a couple of emails. One of them, this one comes from Falcon X Blast. He says, um, there is one case, uh, e- even in, in Heroes of the Storm, where the, pl- the pros play with a very specific Vala skin, the cowgirl skin, because the audio feedback of that skin six shooter is much easier uh, a cue for them to hear and it helps stutter step more efficiently. So sometimes cosmetic only items can provide a gameplay advantage that the developers hadn't considered, which I think, yeah, it is interesting. I don't, I don't think that is enough of a persuasive argument for me to say that cosmetic items, you know, are, are like this Still big all loot boxes. Yeah. Right. Yeah. But uh, Christian, what, what's your take on this? The, the recent announcement that you, are you, do you have any hope or were you going to boycott uh, Battlefront 2 because of this? Um, boycott is too strong of a word. I do not plan on purchasing the game. And it's it's tied to, I think, loot boxes and the progression system. They haven't answered that in any clear way that I've read yet that makes it seem as if I'm going to see meaningful progression playing through the, the multiplayer. And I'm fine with it just kind of being like, you know, Overwatch doesn't have any progression in playing the multiplayer, right? Like, I'm not getting a better gun uh, for my tracer or anything like that you're just playing to play the the game again and again and again and but with battlefront i'm okay if it's that right just jump in and i'm playing in my star wars universe but it's really frustrating when there is really good gear and uh, you know really good guns that i don't have access to unless 
I'm going to now engage in this crate system. In the first game, it was if I was going to engage in the grind and play through the game and accepting that I won't do that, so I won't have the most powerful gun, but I can still play with friends and have fun. But in this, they haven't answered that question about how I'm going to get there. They say they're trying to to implement the best guns, but I'm I'm never going to be the guy in this game that has the best guns. You know what I mean? <laughs> like, I'm not going to be the guy that plays enough of this. Uh, to be the best gun guy. And so how frustrating is it for me to be middle of the pack gun guy um, and, and running around and jumping in? And it's I, from the beta and, you know, hopefully it changes. Um, but it was very frustrating to get killed in star, whatever it is, star fighter assault or whatever they called it. And like when you get killed, it shows a person who killed you and it shows what they have. And it's like this person has a 20 percent buff to their lasers. Right. Well, crap. The only, the only thing they need <laughs> like, now how is am I just supposed to compete with that without just, spending just, money. Just put the buy button right on that stat. It's like this was person killed you with this thing. Yeah, care to buy some loot boxes, fella? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Do you want that? Too, where you can like uh, check out another player's gear, and if you like it, you can order it, and like oh, merch man. will have it the next day. But but like you order it for you know thirty thousand gold that you earn in game, like coins or whatever. And there's no way to actually do a microtransaction, but it's like it reminds me of that where it's like, yeah, you just want to like order this. Okay, well it'll cost you four ninety nine. Or whatever. Yeah, well, and we can talk about Splatoon 2 later, too. But that game has, I think it does it pretty well. It has a progression system where I've argued before that I don't know how making things unlockable via pay improves the game in any way, shape, or form. Because I think it either nerfs the built-in progression system that would otherwise be there. Because we're, we're all on this carrot and stick thing, right, Jeff? You talked about how it, you know, you like it. Yeah, because you like getting loot boxes. Like, they're very specifically tailored and trained <laughs> to stimulate that part of our pleasure, pleasure brain, lizard, everything receptor. And we're like, it's the thing I like. Um, But, like, the video game... Just like, oh, don't talk about those chips. Uh, <laughs> the video games in general are, have always kind of done that, right? Like one more score, one more level, the 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 gameplay loop that you find enjoyable that makes you want to keep doing this thing over and over again. And I feel like once you add paying into that, whether it's pay to unlock the best car, all the cars in Burnout Paradise, or pay to unlock a chance for a box for a better gun or a better skin, I don't know how that makes the game any better when you introduce real world money to be able to be used for that and versus splatoon 2 where it's all in-game currency i feel like and i could be wrong i'd love developers to tell me how wrong i am but i feel like it's something like that the developers spent time looking at the progression system knowing that they were trying to make the most enjoyable experience for the player and balance the grind and reward to have people go i feel like they actually earn something but they're not also looking how to pry a few extra bucks from your wallet to maybe get there quicker. Well, yeah. I mean, I think that the reality is that, unfortunately, a lot of these developers have to balance the, you know, fun factor that they're trying to create with a constant revenue stream so that they can continue to work on the game and continue to add new content to it. Because games these days are platforms. They're not just things that get released one time and you pay X dollars for it and now you have it forever. It's... Now it's become a thing that you need to con- to feed as a developer and that that costs money to continue to employ those people and it requires ways to keep monetizing content that's already out there. So those are con- those are real things that have to happen and, and I think there are good ways to do that and there are bad ways to do that and I think that certainly tying progression into this loot system is 
on the on the end on the on the spectrum of it's bad a, ways to do that. It's a little a little gross, right? It's a little gross. Yeah, not a fan. Uh, Christian, what is your story of the week? Oh, I'm going to take this segue. Speaking of a little gross, um, so it's hard to talk about, and I don't have answers or solutions, but I feel like we talk about things in other industries, and when it comes to your industry, I feel it'd be remiss if we didn't mention it. Um, I have friends at Naughty Dog. I have not talked to them about this in any way, shape, or form. I have no inside information. They make some of my very favorite games. Those are my cards on the table. But this past weekend on Twitter, uh, former environmental artist and multiplayer level artist on Uncharted 2, 3, and 4, and The Last of Us tweeted at his public Twitter account, um, David Ballard, if I didn't say his name, he talked about how he was a victim of harassment from a lead, and Sony's HR department fired him once he came forward, and they offered him hush money, basically, to sign this thing and not to sue, and he felt compelled or... um, strong enough to talk about it now with kind of the stuff that's come out of Harvey Weinstein and some of the other um, sexual assault and abuse claims that are that are uh, out there. And then I think a day or two later, I think it was on Sunday, Naughty Dog offered a statement um, saying they have read on social media that David claims he was sexually harassed while he worked at Naughty Dog. We have not found any evidence of having received allegations from him that he was harassed in any way at Naughty Dog or Sony Interactive. Harassment is inappropriate conduct, has no place at Naughty Dog and Sony. We have taken and always will take reports of sexual harassment and other workplace grievances very seriously. We value every single person who works at Naughty Dog and Sony. It is the utmost important to us that we maintain a safe, productive workplace and environment that allows all of us to channel our shared passion for making games. So I feel like how I come at this I never want to be the person that says, show me receipts, because I always want to take someone's claim at face value. And especially with harassment and abuse, this idea that um, coming forward is very difficult and very hard uh, is, a, is a very real thing. There's also an abundance of statistics out there that talks about the percentage of false claims, because that's always like, oh, the Duke rape scandal was a big one. The Duke lacrosse team, I think this woman accused the team of raping them, raping her. The team got banned from the NCAA. I forget the exact specifics, and it came out later that she fabricated the whole thing. And there are examples of it, but statistically, and it's hard to track this stuff, it's very, very rare. But we're in this culture of, you know, show me receipts, show me that it did happen, or Naughty Dog, this statement's BS. You got to prove what do you have? I want to see everything. And like, this isn't my business. You know what I mean? Like, I'm neither of these people. But as someone in this field, uh, and who takes um, these types of allegations very serious, and I see the the crap <laughs> we're in, um, I don't have solutions or anything. But I wanted to talk about it and put it out on the show because I feel like avoiding it um, doesn't do it any favors either. Yeah, I guess the question is, what do we do with this information? Uh, Ashley, what's, what's your take on this? Um, I think we have seen in the last maybe year or two, um, and maybe maybe even before that, we've seen more and more people, men and women, speaking up about uh, harassment and, and also just beyond harassment, um, bad work environments, toxic work environments. Um, and I think that... More and more, the more people we see step up and talk about their experiences, uh, and like Christian says, um, you know, I I have to take both 
what David Ballard says and what Naughty Dog says at face value, and I don't know what the answer is there. Um, but I think the more people speak out, the more people who have suffered silently feel emboldened to speak out. Um, and I think that in every industry, no matter where you work, uh, there there are bad people and there are bad things that happen to people. Um, and so to me, I I should hope that going forward, more and more people will feel safer uh, coming out and talking about their experiences. Um, I, I, all I can say is that I stand with the people who are, you know, brave enough to share what has happened to them. Um, I think it's really unfortunate that anybody would feel the need to lie about an experience um, to either, I don't know, fit in or feel like they are joining some sort of chorus in an effort to, I don't, I'm not really sure. I don't know why anybody would do that. Um, but they do. There are people that, that do fabricate these things. Um, but the percentage of those people is so low that I, I prefer to believe by default. Um, and so I think it's a responsibility, you know, especially in gaming. It's the hardest thing. I mean, I, I've been gaming since I was three years old. I got my first Nintendo for my third birthday. It was my best friend. Um, I didn't have any friends when I was a kid. And, uh, and I was uh, tortured at school uh, by two little boys who did not like that I knew a lot about video games and that I was a weird kid. Um, and so I think we all, men and women, um, I think women in the gaming industry have it a little bit harder because it's it's harder for them to speak out. I've seen many uh, female colleagues try to. And either they get silenced, uh, they aren't listened to, or they're not believed. Um, and I think, unfortunately, you know, David Ballard is experiencing that same thing. Um, but I think it's our responsibility as just gamers that when we hear that kind, of, when we hear these sorts of things that are abusive in our chats, um, when we play play games, when we play multiplayer games, to say that's not cool. You know, don't laugh it off if it makes you uncomfortable. That's that's the big thing for me. I think that we can really change um, gaming culture in a, a positive way. Uh, we can all still enjoy our, all of the games that we have and that we are going to get um, by just saying, hey, man, like, actually, that was kind of gross. Like, maybe, maybe don't. Like, that's yeah. – mm -mm. No, and it's like it's a very simple thing to do, but it takes a lot of bravery to do, especially to people you don't know. Um, and I know we've all, I'm sure people listening have been in a situation where you've heard something that you're like, that was icky. Like, I, ugh, I, ugh, I didn't like to hear that. Um, but you don't want to say anything because you don't want to like Mostly make a from scene. from my relatives. <laughs> yeah. Like you don't want to make a scene, right? You're just like, oh, that was kind of icky. But like, do I want to make this a big deal? Is this a hill I want to die on? And I think it's our responsibility as good humans to say, you know what? Yeah, this is, this is maybe a hill that I want to be like, not cool, man. But not it's cool, magnified. Girl too by like <clears throat> when it's your peers or your colleagues or even if it's not your direct supervisor or your boss i mean i'll say a, a very well-known secret if, if if it's a secret at all uh, you know the comedy scene especially like at workout rooms and open mics and where just anybody can get up and do whatever they want there is some vile 
vulgar stuff that is often said. And there are always a few other people there that will be like, yeah, yeah, that. Um, And not enough people, and I haven't done it as much as I should. I'm not going to say that I'm the perfect example of always being right. Um, But not enough people stand up afterward and say, no, like, you, yeah, okay, do your thing. But like what you said, what one wasn't funny, it wasn't a joke. And two, it's just gross because it's like, well, you know, they might, they might be hot four years from now. And I, I want, I want to write on that Comedy Central show or I want to write on that CBS show. I, it's, it's just easier just to not laugh. I'll just be on my phone during, you know, that person said or whatever, instead of the next person saying, no, not okay. Here we go. And that's just my own personal example of like, even in that low stake situation, it's still hard to say something. And, it's and very- to care, I was just, just really briefly to piggyback on the comedy scene. Um, a lot of people will say, well, it's just a joke, right? And so, um, and, and that, uh, comedians like Sarah Silverman, for example, joke, have really horrible, like just nasty jokes. But the thing is, is that they are masters of their craft and they have, and if you ask any, Pat Oswalt, Sarah Silverman, Chris Hardwick, if you ask any of these stand up comics, about the dirtiest jokes that they tell in their set now or the most offensive quote unquote jokes, uh, they will tell you they they have to be able to recognize when they cross the line and bring it back. And that's that's really the key to being a smart, good comedian. And um, and the thing is, is they'll tell you they have written absolutely horrible jokes that they that they may have performed and that they're like, gosh, like, oh, that was that was terrible. Like being able to admit like that wasn't a joke. Maybe it was sort of just a really bad observation or yikes that was maybe racist or sexist or you know whatever is is kind of the key to this and so it's like you don't just get a free pass for saying it's just a joke you know it's a very odd week and we'll get into this later in the show but it's a very odd week for me to have played so much of the south park video game uh because that is exactly what you guys are talking about right now uh, and we'll get into some specifics uh, in the playlist about that. But um, I, I kind of want to reframe this a little bit and and say uh, – you know, we don't have to spend too much time on it. But I, I happen to really, really love Woody Allen movies. I love them. These, like Annie Hall is one of my favorite movies of all time. And I could name six more that are in my top movies ever. I, I just – I absolutely love his movies. And – I guess I'm not supposed to anymore. I'm not supposed to support him or see his movies, although I'm curious what he makes. And I and and I grew up loving Bill Cosby, and now I can't. Like, that sucks. What do we do with this information when it hits our hobby, right? What do we do? Do we love Naughty Dog games? Or I, I, that is the place where I just – I don't know what to do with this. Do you, are you able to separate art from artists? I don't know. That's a hard that's question. A, I, I that's where I don't want to get stuck on like well, I need proof and then I'll make my judgment. Um, I I think to some extent it's easy. It's not that's the wrong word. Um, perhaps simpler with like Woody Allen, where it's this is granted a whole bunch of people work on these films, right? Like yeah, it's hundreds, but it's like, hundreds it's like of people. Him as the auteur, and then does a game studio have i think you're that. i think you're parsing that a little i know i am i i 100 am and i'm not i'm saying that's what i don't know i don't know what the answer is i don't know I like think that, you know when it was in my wheelhouse earlier this year i think or last year when the whole well, that was just uh, last week hockey. jeff it just feels like a year 
<laughs> yeah, right. Uh, the Oculus Palmer Lucky thing, I think you felt very, uh, very clear as to what I should do or what anybody should do. And I think now it's sort of in your wheelhouse and it, it feels a little murkier perhaps. And I, I, I think to it, it, all of these things are individual cases and have to be handled individually, obviously, but it's not easy to make those decisions or to say, okay, well, we have to speak with our dollar or we can't, you can't love a thing you love because people involved in the making of it are horrible because people. Because some person I, I was, was a terrible person and that yeah. shouldn't. You, and it's it's that it's it's a really hard argument because again, like with Woody Allen movies, it's like saying, "I don't want to punish all of these other amazing people who worked on this movie who who were not obviously taking part in that." But then there's or also just the miss question out of on this incredible piece of art. Like right, I, I don't want to I don't want to deprive myself of this amazing piece of art that I actually can like in in a vacuum. But I, then, I don't know. But then do you like it in a vacuum? I mean, like, that's another, like, sort of crazy kind of hard question to answer is, are you also complicit by watching that movie and recommending it to people knowing the person who helmed it maybe is a terrible person? It's hard. In the it's chat, hard thing. I can separate Cosby show from that hateful man, but I can't separate R. Kelly music from his abuse. Totally depends. Mel Gibson movies come to mind, many examples. And Jeff, I think your point about you know, Naughty Dog versus Oculus and Palmer is, is a good one. And again, I I hate being that person and I'm always looking to grow and to be better. I'm, I'm never perfect and I've made mistakes and I will continue to make them. I'm probably making one right now, except not about these chips that I love. Um, what if those chips were made from baby puppies? <laughs> yeah. Okay. Not even, not even puppies, but baby puppies. Then I, I couldn't eat them because I'm a vegetarian. Um, I, I feel like, I didn't ask, oh God, this is parsing. I didn't ask for receipts from Palmer Lucky. I was, he gave them to us. He was outward and open. And he is this person. And it's worse that somebody tried to hide it. at, at, At Naughty Dog, I don't know who this is, how high up the chain it is, how covered up it is. Um, and how institutionalized it is, or at any company, or at um, uh, what's their uh, birth death movies, or whatever in the in the film space too. Like I have, I have a, a lot of friends who have done great work over there, and then Fantastic Fest is fantastic. And I at some of those things where it's 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 easier, and I'm not saying this is right, but it's easier when there is a person and you kind of know what their influence is on the product you like to then vote with your dollars or reflect your anger toward that person versus like um, uh, VW, right? They covered up this whole diesel scandal, but like, do I, I still like the GTI. It's a great car. Like the heads are in prison for the crimes they committed. Do I not buy the GTI when I'm looking for my next, it's, it's hard. And I, I realize I'm parsing. We all have to make our own, judgments that maybe there's not a line in the sand because it constantly moves but i think for me thinking of it right now in real time it is when there is that person or core group of like executives that you can attach the act to him or her it makes it easier for me then to say nah forget them forget the stuff they work on than if it's a little vaguer and i i don't know if that's right well it's a big 
Yeah, it's a big issue, and it's interesting that it's hitting our hobby, the the thing that we're talking about on this show um, now, as well as lots of other places. But I think that's indicative of a sea change moment where these things that people didn't necessarily talk about are going to be talked about. And I think that in general is a good thing. And we will talk about much happier things. We've got lots of games to talk about. Um, I'm going to transition awkwardly now to my story of the week, <laughs> which is uh, – the aforementioned Oculus had their big Connect conference and uh, had a lot of really interesting announcements. Uh, if you're into VR or not into VR, they're trying to get you into VR. A uh, whole bunch of things. I'll run them down really quick and then we can dive into whatever you guys feel is is the most interesting stuff. First of all, that price drop, that was the summer price drop of the Rift Touch bundle is now permanent. So you can get Rift and Touch for only $399, which I think is pretty amazing price point for that tech. Uh, but they're actually even going lower than that because Oculus announced a new headset, a standalone headset that requires no external hardware, no cell phone to plug into it, no PC to plug it into uh, only $199. It's going to be called Oculus Go. It will have inside-out tracking, so you don't need any external trackers. You literally can put this thing on anywhere and be in virtual reality, and it can track your hands and and your, the world around you. It's pretty amazing. They well, say, hi, "Well, Jeff, actually, I'm your I'm your mother-in-law. What's that you're putting on your head, Jeffrey? Oh, nothing. I'll just be I'll be right here. You can continue talking to me, mother-in-law. Okay, so I'll anyway, just, I'll just really, be lasers. <laughs> um. <laughs> supposedly we'll have uh, – I love my mother-in-law, by the way. <laughs> he listens to this show religiously, so I have to say that um, <laughs> because she's literally in the other room um, taking care of my kid. Um, <laughs> she's listening to it in real time. <laughs> yeah, she only hears my side of all she the conversations. She only hears your side. Oh, no. Yeah. Um, Anyway, it will have – this new Oculus Go will have uh, high-resolution high uh, LCD uh, displays with what they call next-gen lenses, which are supposed to reduce that god rays effect that people have noted on Oculus that you see when you see like white text in a black background. It kind of disperses the light. So hopefully this will improve that. It's interesting. Um, and that is part of Oculus's stated goal of getting a billion people into VR, which I think is pretty neat. They also announced a revamp to the Oculus Home environment, which is sort of their baseline interface that you log on to when you just put the headset on. It's got a new touch-based interface they're calling Oculus Dash. And then the coolest news from my point of view is that uh, Respawn, the developer of Titanfall, Titanfall 2, and other games, is partnering with Oculus to develop a new first-person combat experience that they're targeting for a 2019 release. Listeners of this show will remember when Titanfall 2 came out, I was like, I wish this game was in VR. Oh, my God. I want this game in VR. Every event I went to at Respawn when they were coming out with that game, I told the developers, please, are you making a VR game? And they were like, eh, well, you know, we will if the project is right. Clearly, they were already working on that. Um, so I'm really excited. I, I do think first-person shooter is sort of the least – interesting thing you can do in VR right now uh, because there's so many other interesting possibilities, but a developer of the caliber of Respawn bringing their talents to bear on this technology is something that I'm really excited about. So that's sort of the overview of Oculus Connect that happened this last week. Um, Ashley, what do you, what is your take? I, I'm going to, th- I'm going to turn it around and ask a question of you guys. Do you have concerns that if people's experience with VR is 
I, I which I have always worried about with things like the uh, Galaxy Gear. Um, do you worry that if people have sort of this suboptimal VR experience that they will be turned off by it? Absolutely. I mean, I think that that is something that uh, I hear all the time is, you know, somebody got a chance to try it. And nine times out of 10, I get tweets of people like, I got a chance to try it. Oh, my God, you're so right. It blew me away. But every now and again, I get get the text of like, I tried it. I don't see what the big deal is. It made me sick or it, I think it made me sick is less common these days. But, right, but still, eh, yes. But meh is like, eh, I don't Yeah, you know. right. Um, so, yes, I'm worried. I, I have some concerns about the Oculus Go for that reason. I, I'm just very curious to see what things like the refresh rate will be. Um, and then uh, and also what it will be able to do in terms of, you know, graphics capability. Uh, the Rift at $399 with the Touch, man, they are just really desperate to compete with the Vive. <laughs> like, I just, I mean, good for them for dropping that price. But $399 is the price of PlayStation VR. So it's like, yeah. they're really... Do they? I, I almost wonder if they almost feel equally as competitive with PlayStation VR, which is crazy if true. Um, but uh, yeah, I think that's I, more the golden vibe. I think they're more worried, not worried, but they want to be. They want to be in the conversation with an entry level VR. Yeah. I think a lot of people looked at PSVR and went, "Oh, this is something that can get me into that technology." And yeah. Oculus is a is is sort of a pie in the sky, and they don't want to be viewed as pie in the sky. They want to be viewed as entry level. Right. They don't want to hear the uh, the argument of which we we say on CNET all the time, which is like, well, if you if you want a VR computer, if you want to get VR, you also need to have a VR capable computer that can be expensive. Uh, you know, you're sp- putting out quite a bit of cash. Um, and then and then this thing about respawn. Um, I, I agree that first person shooter is sort of the least exciting thing you could be doing with virtual reality. Um, the, the quote that they had said, uh, I maybe I'm a little bit concerned. Respawn co-founder uh, Vince Sampella said, the combat experience in VR really gives you the chance to experience life closer to what a soldier would experience in real combat. It gives you more of that feeling of paranoia and that tension. And then uh, Respawn also said it wants to, quote, depict being a soldier in combat in a more fully fleshed out and realistic way, unquote. Um, I love Titanfall. Right. You, anytime I can control a robot in a video game, I'm in. Like I, right. in any way possible. Um, however, I have little to no interest in first person shooters that whose whose number one goal is how realistic can we make it for you to shoot and kill another human being? Like I, I, I have very little interest in that. And I, I, I am in the minority there in the, in terms of people who play Call of Duty, people who play, uh, you know, Battlefield, people who play this game. I totally understand that, like, for some people, that's really exciting doing, like, the loadouts on the guns and changing all the parts. I totally understand that. It's just for me personally, I am, I am really bored by that. Like, at this point, I, I find it personally very boring. I, you know, I actually had the same exact reaction when I heard that. I was like, oh, yes, Titanfall developer, respawn. Wait, what? That sounds like you want to make a realistic. No, no, no. I want laser pistols. I want giant mechs. I want, 
I want crazy over the top fantasy worlds. Don't, I, I, don't I don't want to have to take magic mushrooms to treat my PTSD after I get out of this game. Like I, this is like a thing that I am not. I, I'm just like I don't. That doesn't seem like something I would ha- take an active interest in wanting to experience. Which is why I have not signed up for the military. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> right. Like, it's just I, it like is. to me, it's like if it's so realistic, like then most people have who have experienced that might even tell you you don't want to experience that. Yeah, and we don't know exactly what the game is going to be yet. So we don't it, – it is a little worrisome, those comments, but we don't know it at all. We don't even know what time period, what genre – we know it's a shooter, but we don't know if it – you know, what it, what it is. So I'm going to reserve judgment, but it, you're right. I had the same reaction. It's a little – worrisome to, to, to <laughs> paraphrase from another show that you do i have concerns <laughs> indeed that's all, that's all. Christian, what's, your, what's your take on all this all i'm saying is job simulator is awesome so what if you are in the boots of a soldier working at a recruitment office oh. in a strip mall in orange county and someone whoever closed the recruitment office before you left the place a total mess Oh, no. High school graduation's coming up. A lot of people are really excited uh, to give back to our country, especially with the patriotic TV shows that are on and just the state of the world. People really want to do something good with their life. And my dad was a Navy guy, true story, and that he wants to you know, instill in me that. So I'm going to go, and I'm there, and I'm working this desk, and I got to get the desk ready, and I know what it feels like. And uh-oh, <laughs> the door opens, and a monkey runs in. Monkeys? Oh, no. Orange you, County pet monkey. Gonna wreck right. those ASVAB test results, guys. <laughs> <laughs> like if they, uh, there's no way, uh, there's no way Respawn does that. But that I would honestly, if they did that and it was like twenty bucks, I would buy it. Just like you got me, lol. <laughs> it's like I a version to... of Papers, Please. That is really appealing to me. Right, yeah, you, you're uh, World War Two, just denying Steve Rogers over and over yeah, again. So Sorry, Steve. <laughs> Marvel should release that as a mini experience for Oculus Go. I would buy it. I would 100 buy that. Uh, I definitely am hoping that it that it is closer to Titanfall than anything else, but we shall see. Either way, I think pretty exciting stuff in the, in the VR department. All right, we'll move on. We got lots of games to talk about. Uh, lots of games is 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 almost a problem at this point, but we have also have your solution in the form of our sponsor, GameFly. If you want to play more games and save more money. Gamefly is a great solution for you because you pay one low monthly fee and you can play as many games as you you want. You have a list of games at Gamefly. They send you the next one on your list. You play it as long as you want. There are no late fees for keeping it too long. You can play that game as long as you need to or as briefly as you want. Send it back, power through it, get to the next one on your list and keep chugging through games. It's a way to save money. You don't have to buy a new game every time. But if you do want to buy it, they also give you a discounted purchase price. So if you want to keep it forever, ever. Also, they have movies now. So with one monthly fee, you can also have games and movies. They have over 9,000 titles. So there's a big selection. All the newest stuff comes up on Gamefly. And you can try stuff before you buy it or you can just play stuff and move through your through your list. You never have to worry about shipping fees. It's great. Christian, you use Gamefly, right? Yeah, I wish I could say that the sponsorship means I get it for free. I know I've been paying for Gamefly for years, and you asked me about Battlefront 2. Guess how I'm playing Battlefront 2? I am Gameflying Battlefront 2, and I'm very excited to get it. Right now, what's on my way to my house right now? Gran Turismo Sport. It's in the mail. 
coming to me. I've been a long time subscriber with my uh, hard earned money, and I'm I'm very happy with the service. Well, if you want to try GameFly and not have to give any of your hard-earned money yet, we're going to give you a free premium 30-day trial just for listening to this show. It's special. It's just for us. You go to GameFly.com slash DLC2, and that gets you two games and or movies at a time. It's the only You can only get that offer by going to GameFly.com slash DLC2. Don't forget the two at the end. That's how you remember you get two games. Numeral so, or spelled out? Uh, the number two DLC cool. and the number two sign up now start playing all your favorite games it's the perfect season to do that you can just play everything and you get it for free for 30 days gamefly.com slash DLC two Ashley, uh, it has become very clear in, in, in even in the last segment how much of a fan of Splatoon you are. Uh, tell us about your latest exploits in Splatoon 2. You're still a, a an addicted player it's of that a, game. It's a problem. I might have a Splatoon <laughs> 2 problem. Um, I love that game. I, I mean, it's so good. Um, it, so it was Splatfest this weekend. There was a Splatfest, and it was Vampires versus Werewolves. And of course, I picked what any sane, rational person would choose, vampires. And um, because Taylor Lautner has ruined werewolves for everybody. All really? the werewolves out there really need to get on Taylor Lautner for ruining it for them. Are you sparkly um, vampire or are you... Uh... I, I go interview the vampires. So like kind okay. of a, like an attractive, dark vampire. But, Rooting. you know, Brad yeah. Pitt. Brad gotcha. Pitt. Like I, I'm into that. So Brad Pitt vampires for forever and ever. Um but yeah, so Splatfest happened and it was really fun. They had uh they do this really cool thing where every Splatfest they have had uh they have a map called Shifty Station and uh they redesign it. So every single Splatfest you have this sort of new mystery map that nobody's really played before that's in the rotation and then they have two maps that you're familiar with and they ch- those change every 3 hours. So um, it lasts for 24 hours, and this Shifty Station map was so mean. It was a giant wall between the two sides, and then the only thing that allowed you to get to the other, your opponent's side, was these sort of revolving doors. (laughs) And people were just throwing bombs in there and uh, exploding in there. I mean, it was just, it was absolute madness, but it was so much fun. And people were chucking uh, triangle bombs over the wall, and it was just—it was a very crazy, fun map that uh, that I really enjoyed. So, I, a lot of people have a problem with it, though. If, if you go to the Splatoon Two subreddit, people were really mad. They didn't like. How's that? that how's that community? I mean, speaking of the the subreddit, are, are you? Is it still vibrant and thriving? And you're able oh, to yeah. jump into games pretty fast? And yeah, mm-hmm, mm-hmm, yeah. Like, uh, I mean, the the, the community is as is the Overwatch community. Um, great segue. Uh, extremely uh shipping slash fan art slash meme oriented so there's a lot of uh pretty wild fan art and things out there in fact squids uh, in various poses squids doing various jobs squids everywhere squids and kids just going just going bananas i think i saw one this weekend that uh, my brother sent me it was um to, it was the squid marina and pearl dressed up as mercy and Farah or something oh like man that. are there are there splatoon halloween costumes oh man i want to see I cute kids in splatoon halloween costumes I, man okay i've been playing the overwatch halloween event and all i could think to myself as i open up my loot boxes there is 
I really wish there were pumpkin heads and all sorts yeah. of weird, uh, you know, hats. And then like, you know, you have like little witch hats or, you know, even just hats would be really cool. Uh, just for, hats. Just for, give me hats. And Halloween. Halloween is a really big thing in Japan. Like they love like the Nightmare Before Christmas and, and goth stuff. And I just feel like it'd be a really great fit for so many Splatoon fans to have these like really cool sort of holiday hats. Yeah. Oh, it'd be so great. And your squid could look kind of like a ghost or something when you're... Yes. Oh, uh, Nintendo. Come on, I Nintendo. Squid no gonna, ghost. I need to make some Ooh. calls. I need to call Mr. Nintendo. You were yeah, just there yeah. last weekend. You dropped the squid ball. Excuse me, Mr. <laughs> Nintendo. We need to talk. I am going to need some Halloween costumes for my squids. Thank you very much. Uh, Christian Spicer, you are, of all the people I know, you are the biggest, most vocal fan of shadow of mordor me yes i think so i love that game it was my game you of the year that game was, why were you yeah. sh- surprised i said that well I, I think it had quite a few fans i think it won a n- numerous game of the year i'm just saying year. none larger than you you oh. were huge you were you kept telling me to play it you kept telling everyone that would listen to you to play it yeah. you were you put it on your top five games of the year list that year i got that big tattoo on my back um, that big tattoo that said oh, i am the number one shadow of mordor <laughs> But that then you back piece more. is beautiful, by the way. Yeah. It just says Shadow of More. You really should have planned that out. <laughs> well, that was intentional because I wanted more of Shadow of War. Um, yeah, so that's great setup for the backstory. Uh, in Shadow of War, I was super hyped for. I don't – Sequel! Off- it's here! You you wanted it so bad! I know. I don't often pre-order games. I had this game pre-ordered, and then I kept hearing more about it, and my hype level started to go down canceled my pre-order i was like i'll get it from gamefly if i love it i can still go out and buy it later but i gotta and i kept and i was like eh. and then i got it I'm, I'm only four or five hours in so it's a it's a meaty game then the loot box stuff came out and i was like oh i don't know what this game um what did i the exact words i texted you i think were like i don't know if i've ever been more disappointed by a game a sequel to a game that was my game of the year for the first one or a more elegant way of saying that like I have the my first three hours archived on my Twitch, which is just Christian Spicer, and um, it opens not great. I think as it gets going, it becomes better. So if you know nothing about the game, it's at Arkham Combat, very similar to the first one. Um, the nemesis system where you're taking down these orcs in game, and if they defeat you, they come back later kind of like with a scar. Or they remember things and the way they kind of move around the map and you're trying to do all this as you take down the lower level captains, it'll make defeating the higher level enemies easier because they won't have their captains to support them for this battle. And then also a story, a narrative that's supposed to be pulling you through this, this game and the way that this game opened narrative, narratively seem, and I'm not the biggest Tolkien fan. I probably said his name wrong. Tolkien. I don't know how you say it. I, I read the Hobbit. I read fellowship. I've seen all the movies, but like, I'm not, not the biggest fan. You're not Stephen Colbert. Correct. Correct. Um, it, so I don't know if this is like narratively makes sense within the canon of those things or whatever, but the way the first game ends, it ends and they're like, we got to make a, we got to make a ring. And then very spoilers to the very beginning of this game, you make another ring. Like we did it. We got another ring. And then within five minutes, you lose that ring. Like, we got to get the ring back. And it's, and you as the guy, the, the hunter are like, I wish, I wish this elf ghost would leave me alone and I could just die and be with my family. And in the first five minutes, you have that choice. Well, I got to save humanity. Why? It's just weird. It's a mess. The, the big spider, uh, whose name I don't know, uh, that's always a big spider and everything is now a, a hot woman that's like flirting with you the whole time. 
and like pulling strings, which seems weird. And then, so that's narratively, it's kind of a mess. I don't quite understand what's going on. Uh, at the very beginning, too, you lose your ghost elf for a little bit, but yet one of the attacks you do when you do a, a drop down silent kill, I still became that. I, I became the ghost to do the kill. And I was like, I don't have the guy. How do I do that? So it's like weird things like that. But then just getting into the gameplay loop, leaving out loot boxes and buying. And I, I've heard the end of the game really ratchets up either grind or pay. Um, for what I'm playing, you get a, there's a fairly high amount of loot dropping. But the areas are all smaller now. I think I have two. Maybe I just unlocked the third, but I haven't played it yet. Um they feel so much smaller. The first game had two big areas. So you're kind of, for me, you know, roaming this space, plotting your kills, going after these captains. And it felt like awesome and epic because you could kind of, sometimes you'd stumble across somebody out in the wilds or whatever, and you'd get in this incredible fight. And then maybe reinforcements would show up of a guy that defeated you earlier and you're having this awesome experience. But in this game, I'm just trying to track down one captain that I have intel on and I go to him and then going to him like six other captains just bump into me and it's all procedurally generated within the engine. So it's not as if the game, you know, narratively or design wise is like this is a moment to ratchet up the difficulty. Let's really turn the screws to Christian right now. It was just I happened to run it. Those guys happened to populate there and I got stuck in this not fun fight that I couldn't have planned around if I wanted to. And then all of your um, evasive maneuvers are tied to X. X is sprint. X is roll. X is climb. And it's all different presses of it. But I'm, I'm in this area with geometry and I'm trying to like get out of there. And I just keep rolling because it, the camera is turned around to like combat focused. So I'm not grabbing onto the wall that's there that I should jump up. And auto run and jump is very much you to kind is of that, that not how it worked in the first game. I didn't feel as claustrophobic in the first game in those environments. I think it was kind of that same control mechanic, but just the number of times in my first hour where I couldn't do what I wanted to do and what I think I should have been able to do um, was very frustrating. I like got no point in my first hour of the game was I like, nice. I see how this comes together. Instead, I was like, really? This stupid captain is bad. And then the kicker, and I kind of understand it. In the first game, there was a <laughs> there was a glitch where after you took down a captain and you went for a kill, um, sometimes the, that captain, I don't, I, however the engine worked, would disappear. And you just like, oops, glitched out. Um, and you'd find them again later in the world. Now they've kind of made that a feature where if you don't, you'll go, you'll kill them, but then you'll go into a mini game to do a beheading. Uh, like a QTE to get a beheading to do like this, you know, epic takedown or whatever. Uh, whereas before, sometimes if you missed the epic takedown, they would disappear. Sorry, now, oh, no problem. Now in this one, if you miss that QTE prompt to do the beheading, the captain disappears. And like not even, you can't chase him. Like literally, I missed a button prompt because I didn't know it was coming and I didn't push circle in time. And then that captain disappeared and then leveled up two levels because I didn't defeat them. And now they're out, and it didn't make me feel like I'm gonna get you, Night Orc. It was just like, oh, forget this. What? It, it felt so, cheap. I don't understand. Listening to you, I'm not clear on what's different between this one and the last one. Like what? What? Okay. What changed? What? What made you turn so 180 degrees on it? 
smaller maps, smaller environments. So the chance of running into a captain is or like multiple captains in this procedural, however they're running their game engine is way up and not as much room to explore and kind of plan attacks. Uh, the story that the narrative that's supposed to be pulling you through this thing is just absolute. It's, it's uninteresting. It's very dull. It doesn't seem like it fits either character's motivation for why you're out here doing these things. Um, and then combined with the, they've expanded the scope of the game so big to include these RTS moments where, you know, you're defending your base and sending your orcs out to do this domination stuff. And then your menus for your stats and your skills, kill, skill trees. Everything is blown up in such a way that I feel like who, when they were working on this game, I don't know if they realized what people loved about the first game. And instead of just giving us more of that or refining those systems, it was like, well, what if we did this? What if we did – oh, and we could put this in, and then we'll put this in, and oh, look at all this epic loot that's going to be constantly dropping, and oh, and you can craft, and you can do – and it just – it feels like a case of what else can we put in here? And then the things that were there are shrunk down and more frustrating than they are fun. A lot of discussion in the chat room about Shadow of War. Uh, Technoir84 says he's liking it. It's more of the same, which has been fine for him so far. Uh, other people say the story is not good, but it wasn't good in the first one either. Um, so, yeah, it's interesting to see how anticipated this game was, how how lauded the first one was. Maybe because it was so novel and nobody had really done that Nemesis thing before. And now it just it, it it's not. Maybe now that we're it. used to it. Yeah, but I think We've that aspect of it's other. fine. I just and I've heard as you get powered up or it opens up a little more, but the areas, the environments are just small and they're full of these captains. So it doesn't feel like like before. I remember like one guy would kill me and I would hunt him down across the map. And along the way, I'd knock off all these side quests and then kill these other captains or get information on how I can take down this now, whatever they're called, second layer captains lower tier of captain so that when i get to this guy who killed me and it was fun and engaging and now i stumble across like six dudes they kill me i respawn come two steps another captain's right there with let's on a mount and i'm just like i don't have time to breathe or set up or do what i want and i don't feel like i'm in control kind of orchestrating this thing it just feels like take a step oh here. it's like uh in an overworld in a jrpg said orchestrating. <laughs> That's funny. Uh, <laughs> but like the bad version of the JRPG where every time you're in the overworld, you take a step forward. Every and time hit, you take a step, you hit a, yeah. You hit a slime in the grass or whatever. And that's it's not fun. Counter. Yeah. yeah, that's interesting. Also, sorry for my barking dogs. I think they are, in fact, fighting a captain outside. Yeah. And by the, captain, the, I mean squirrel. So. But I'll <laughs> keep dog, playing and I'll have more. Have I'll have more next week. They, they are going berserk because there is a squirrel in our yard. So sorry for everybody listening. No problem. They have the nemesis system with that squirrel. It's a long history. They, oh, long yeah. History. Oh, very long history. Let me tell you. <laughs> Shadow, they, Shadow War developers came to my house uh, specifically to develop the nemesis system. <laughs> like, we got to get in on these this dog squirrel action. They're some really interesting – They are dynamics. so frustrated and we want to do that to gamers. <laughs> uh, I want to talk about South Park, the fractured butthole, which has, I think – one of the greatest titles in the history of, of video games. Um, I It comes out tomorrow. I played an early release uh, copy. I played it on PC. I'm about 10 hours in. I have not finished it. I put a lot of time into it, though, and um, I like it a lot more than the first game. It is 
if you don't know anything about it, it is instead of the first game, Stick of Truth, which was the South Park kids, you know, playing at LARPing at uh, uh, role playing tropes. This one is superhero tropes. And now they're playing superheroes and you create your own superhero that you can you can um, craft from a whole bunch of different templates. Uh, all of the cool superhero trope. You can make a, a Wolverine type or a, a thing type or a professor X type or a Cyclops type. And then you get to mix and match all those powers as you go along and add new things to your repertoire. The combat system has been completely revamped much, much better than the first game. Now there's positioning is important and you have all these cool knockback effects where you can like, you can position yourself on either position your team members on either side of a character, knock him or her into the uh, your other character, and then you create this cool ricochet combo system. Uh, it, it all of your attacks have squares that they affect, and so the positioning of your team on the map and where you move them to on your turn has a big impact on on the on the game. It it's really much more dynamic, interesting combat system overall. Now, I'm coming from having put a bunch of hours into Battle Chasers Night War, which is also turn-based, sort of nouveau, Japanese-style role-playing tropes. And I don't think it holds a candle to that combat system, which I find to be really, really deep and interesting. But it's it's got its own dynamism. It's it's dynamic in its own ways of, uh, like I was talking about, where you the positioning really has an effect. And it's, uh, those kinds of, of decisions are interesting and fun. But having said all that, what you're coming to, what you're coming for in these games is the South Parkiness of the world. And it does that. It's, it's extraordinary how much care Matt and Trey seem to have put into these games. Like it, their fingerprints are all over it. They voice all the characters and there's tons of South Park content. It is, you know, up to the minute. In, in fact, last week's episode was like a prequel to this game uh and it's almost like you're playing through a south park movie because it's got so much content and all the characters from the universe and everything that's been happening is referenced and there is a ton of story stuff in fact i'm really blown away by how it seems like almost every encounter that you have has like custom written dialogue for it it feels like each encounter is crafted and has its own ups and downs and interactions with all the characters. It, it's it's an extraordinary thing that they managed to make the game feel so much like the cartoon at all times. It's not like, oh, you're in the cartoon and then you stop and, and have a combat and then you're back in the cartoon. It's like you'll be in the middle of a, con, a, 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 a combat scenario and all the kids are in the street fighting and then it'll be like car and then a car will drive by and all the kids like, stop combat, move up to the sidewalk, the car goes by, and then the car will drive by and be like, hey, you kids, get out of the street! And then they'll come back and they'll resume combat. Or like a character that you've interacted with before will interrupt combat and do something. Or the combats themselves will be uh, crafted in a way that's very specific. For example, there's one moment where you infiltrate this strip club and you're trying to get one of the strippers and and attack her and capture her and and uh interrogate her for information and you have to fight through this hallway of strippers so most of the combats are you know you're in an arena you take them down once you defeat them 
combat's over. And this one is you're trying to progress from the left-hand side of the room to the right-hand side of the room to the back of the room where the uh, main stripper that you want to get is hiding. And she's sending all of the other strippers at you. And the conceit of the moment is that each of the strippers that is, as you defeat them, new ones get introduced. And the, like, strip club announcer DJ guy announces each of them as they enter the combat. And he's like... Hey, it's Tammy. Tammy. Everybody welcome Tammy. She's uh, a spicy meatball. You know, and then she comes out. So like each each of them has their own intro custom voice thing. And it's all. And then there's like a, a big gigantic boss stripper that she calls out at the end that's coming at you that you can't defeat. She's immune to all your attacks. You just have to avoid her by moving your characters around the space. So it's like all these custom moments that happen. That I find very impressive that they've made the game feel every step of the way like it is crafted for that specific scenario. You know, you're in a very narrative-based moment throughout. You're never not doing that. Jeff, so have how, we go ahead. figured out have we figured out uh how Matt and Trey are um manipulating time so that they are <laughs> able to make this game? Because well, I, think, I, I th- I think, I think with all the money they've made from South Park, they have either created a cloning machine that is at South Park Studios, or they have some sort of uh, time-turning device like you see in Harry Potter. Well, have there's actually... Five Days to Air or whatever it's called, that document. I mean, it shows you how yeah, they do I mean, it. It's and... amazing. Yeah. Well, there's actually clues in the game because, uh, that must be they're revealing how they do it, because you as your character actually get the power to stop and rewind time with your farts. So Perfect. I can only I, I can only out. I can only surmise that that's them admitting how they do it as well. Quantum farts. Yeah. Perfect. How how that, is yeah. the humor right? Because I feel like South Park, this game, it sounds like lives and dies on its narrative, and some episodes are better than others. And this game is coming out at a very different time than when um, you know the the movie came out or the show started coming out, and usually it hits pretty well but now you you just described a custom scenario where you're a bunch of kids beating up a bunch of women. Yes. And you do that a lot. And you change the difficulty by being darker skinned. And yeah, like, well, is it yeah. landing right? And like, they're making a social commentary or does some of it seem like. Well, it farting? depends on how you, f- what do you feel about South Park? Because just as I was explaining that you literally control time by farting, the South Park universe is this mix of extremely juvenile, goofy humor with really subversive, dark, dark, crude, but incisive humor, you know? Like, for example, there's an entire subquest where the uh, police chief in South Park asks you to become a junior deputy and help them bust perps. And the only people you attack are the affluent, very well-mannered black residents of South Park. And when you go to their house, you have to break in. You go in and you fight them. And the entire time you're fighting them, they're like, why are you in my house? I haven't done anything wrong. Please stop attacking me. And you literally beat them into submission. So depending on how you feel about that, which is just one tiny example of the kinds of things that you do in this game. There's also an entire thing with PC principal, which you may know as a character from the game who, uh, 
you know, gets you to attack people based on their microaggressions. If there's ever a microaggression in the game, you get a free hit on somebody. There's a whole sequence of you're you're creating your character sheet in this game, the the character that you're playing in this role playing world, this superhero role playing world. And major quest moments are about filling out your character sheet. So, for example, you fill out your gender and you go and you sit down with the counselor at South Park Junior High or uh, elementary and uh, he asks you your gender and he asks if you are male, female or other and if you're transgender and if you've always been that gender. And there's like 20 questions to get your gender and you become cis, you know, cisgendered or what it's it's all of that stuff is at play. Right. And you find out what your ethnicity is and all all of those things are exactly what South Park is about. Right. They hold no prisoners to any of that stuff there's attacks on the left on the right and everyone in between everyone gets roasted and it's crude and it's vulgar I, constantly I, I wonder and i'm not the type of person that thinks you know banned violent video games like video games are training you to be a murderer or whatever I'm, I'm not on that side of the fence but i do wonder how the interactivity here mutes or blunts what could be a message a satirical message of watching a show where you're watching this thing happen and cartman or whomever is breaking into the affluent african-american homes to do this thing and they're commenting like can't believe i'm doing this dude this is so wrong or whatever they'd be saying versus you need to do that to win the game i feel like that's a different i feel like that's a different step where even whatever the commentary is, like you as the player are, they're asking you to do that. And unless they're commenting on, on top of that about like, you know, like the, the BJ Novak kids book, uh, I forget what it's called, like the book with no pictures where it's like, you get the person reading to do silly things and you break that fourth wall. Unless they're like, look what we're making you do. Isn't this messed up how you're doing this? I mean, that is clearly the message. That's clear that the, the, the police officer is constantly going, don't believe them. Don't listen to them. Don't be fooled about how nice their house looks. They're, they're hardened criminals. And clearly the point of view is, is to show you how effed up and ridiculous all that is. But if you are not perceptive, the base level thing of what you're doing, I think could be taken really, really wrong. And people could, I think, get some joy out of the pure act of doing that in a really twisted way. And that's just one example. There are many, 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 many examples of how effed up this game is uh, so all over the place. You as you, who's someone who's fairly well-defined, and we've done over 200 episodes of this show, um, is this game, from what you've played so far, a hit or a miss? I'll tell you what. I have laughed out loud several times playing this game. Straight up. I have... Uh, I have enjoyed the mechanics of this game far more than I ever enjoyed Stick of Truth. I have been. I it's stick a in, new developer, right? No, it's Obsidian. Okay, I thought they changed developers for this. Maybe the no, publisher. I think Obsidian team. did the last one, and Obsidian did this one. I'm pretty sure. Um, and I, I think Matt and Trey in general are brilliant. I, ha- I have come to a place where I think their sort of shotgun style of just everything needs to be ridiculed has in, in recent times has felt a little too uh, irresponsible 
Uh, it feels a little um, it, like that's the problem is that it, it, I think it, it engenders apathy and a just F everything middle finger to the world kind of perspective that I don't think is helpful. But I, I but you can't argue with the fact that they literally don't save anybody. Everybody is 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 ridiculed. Everybody. Um, so I don't know, man. I don't know. There are things that make me squirm, but there are things, but those things are there to make me squirm. Like that's the point of them. And there are other things that made me genuinely laugh. Um, the other mechanics in the game, the, some of it, it, it feels very, um, rudimentary and almost simplistic to the point of, of ridiculousness. Like there's, there's these buddy systems that emerge over the course of the game. You unlock new characters and you you can solve little puzzles in town with buddy system, but it's very straightforward. It's not very sophisticated. So that stuff feels a little wonky. But ultimately, this game lives and dies on the fact that it's a narrative. And it pulled me through and it continues to pull me through because I want to see what's next. And it all holds together as one big, long story, like movie-length story. Sometimes the jokes land and I find them funny. Other times they don't. But it's kind of what we're talking about, what we were talking about in the first segment where it's like, you know, these are, as Ashley said, experts in their field, but also stuff, sometimes stuff lands wrong. Who knows? I, I don't know how to judge it, to be honest with you. Yeah, it's tough. Uh, I was just looking in the chat. Joe Blank says it's Ubisoft SF. This is a different developer. Um, oh, I thought it was Obsidian. It's not. Am I not right about that? Oh, I could... For this game, but I'm, I was trying to look. But I think it might be a different. Yeah, it's hard. And and someone else in the chat said, uh, "Was it? I think global." Like I hate having a laugh at something like that. You know, a, a thing that is a critique or a satire. When I know that there are lots of bad people who are laughing it from a place of evil, and I've right. I've I've, I've had stand up jokes. Point of my own that I've wrestled with that I maybe I I'm I think I'm too smart and I'm like this no what I'm saying is this and I think most people get it that way but then after a show someone comes out and they're like yeah your wife is fat and I'm like uh <laughs> that that was not the joke <laughs> like you, you missed the part when I said but <laughs> and they're like yeah you just said but cool show dude let me buy a shirt uh, they're not for sale <laughs> it's hard it's hard it's it's hard yeah, there's a really good. Um, I think Jeff, you read this. There's a really great article that um, Film Crit Hulk wrote mm -hmm. um, yeah, about six amazing. months ago called "PC Culture Versus the Big Joke," and so they talk about South Park. Uh, he talks about South Park and how, uh, like you were saying, how they uh, Matt and Trey sort of. It's like I <laughs> I agree that it's <clears throat> I admire them. <clears throat> excuse me for how much uh, they do not pull any punches like i i love that they go after everybody um and relatively equally uh but i also think that it has contributed very much to a generation of people and i include you know kind of a little slightly older millennials in this um of uh, a generation of people who say well it's it everything's a joke and so it's it none of it matters. It's all a joke. Caring about things, being enthusiastic about things is not cool. And so it's fun to be cynical. It's fun to be um to be flippant about these things. And and sometimes it is. Like sometimes it really is. It's so much fun to be, you know, to to not care about stuff. Like and but I um, you know, 
the reason I like you guys so much and the reason I like a lot of the people I hang out in this industry with is because I believe enthusiasm is cool. I believe caring about other people is cool. I believe being loud and proud about those things is the coolest, you know, and and loving something unabashedly is cool. You know, like I I have no shame in that game. I'll tell you all day long how much I love Splatoon or how much I love Cuphead, even though it frustrates me. Like, you know, I I love it, you know, and I, I have no shame in just saying, like, I really love this. Like, I'm so enthusiastic about it. I'm so excited about it. And um, and I think that's the part we all struggle with with this game is like, you know, w- there has been a shift back towards enthusiasm and caring being cool. And so we're sort of feeling that pull back to cynicism being really funny and really cool because they're great at it. They are masters at it. And so we so it feels good to laugh at it. But then there's a there's that part of us that keeps growing as our society changes and as this next generation of kids comes up. Uh, not having been, you know, bowled over by the quote-unquote South Park phenomenon, um, it, it just sort of is now. It's an institution. Um, yeah. And so kids rebel against what the institution is. And so for the longest time, you know, video game reviewers and movie reviewers and all sorts of entertainment critique was uh, very flippant, very cynical, very, um, you know, just eh, like whatever, and almost a little angry. And now it's like, Maybe we'll have a new generation of people who are a little bit more enthusiastic about things and who can really look at something and say, I love this. This is amazing. But also, here's some problems with it. But like, I still love it. It's still awesome. So and I think it's okay to say that. I think it's totally okay to say that. Did you play another game this week, Jeff, that's maybe full of love and positivity and I can play in front of my daughter? Uh, yeah, I mean, I got a chance to play some more Super Mario Odyssey at an event that Nintendo held here in Los Angeles, and uh, they showed, or they let me have hands-on with an entirely new kingdom, the kingdom that they just um, debuted with the latest trailer at a Nintendo Direct, what, a week or two ago? Uh, which is the, I can't remember the actual name of it, but it's the Beach Kingdom. Um, the It's really beautiful, actually. Water, sand, beaches... Uh, it's it's kind of an amazing thing where they can combine a Mario water level with a regular Mario level because of this new open world mechanic where you can just just wander into the water and then you go under the water and now you're in a water level. But you could just go up on the beach and do beach stuff too. It's all part of one big open kingdom. It's kind of remarkable. Listeners of the show will remember that I came away from E3 less than enthused about Mario Odyssey. I had a really awkward demo event moment uh with the game the waggle i know know. people nine out of ten prefer the waggle jeff yeah the waggle always go waggle. she was like uh the our my the little the the lady that was guiding me around every time i pressed a button she's like you know it's actually a lot better if you just use the (laughs) use the motion controls i'd be like i don't agree with that but okay i don't like motion i don't want to feel joy in my joy cons (laughs) Um, but also, you know, I thought the new dunk city was strange looking and I don't know. It just, it just was, I came away doubtful. Uh, and I've, I've, I'm shocked I, by that, by the way, I'm I know shocked. a lot of people were, <gasps> I have completely changed my mind six months ago. Oh my God. I have changed my mind based on uh, this event, uh, this week because I got a chance to play it a little more autonomously and see more of the game and played in handheld mode and. I replayed the the levels from E3. They had the same build there too. And I played this new kingdom level. And the thing that I came to understand 
uh, that I guess a lot of people already got from what they played, but it didn't really land on me was how this whole hat possession mechanic is going to absolutely blow the doors off of what you can do in a Mario game. Because every Mario game that we've grown up with is built around Mario suits, right? You get the flower suit, you can throw fireballs. You get the raccoon suit, you can fly a little bit. All these little suit, new cat suit, you can climb on things. And they give these abilities, but they're very specific abilities at a specific time in a specific place. And this idea of of using the hat to possess any enemy in the environment and then getting this special ability that the enemy gives you, like literally when you possess them with your hat, a little tooltip comes up and says, okay, now you can do this and this. And you can do that with anything in the environment at any time, all the time. So basically it's like peppering the world with dozens and dozens of new Mario suits. And all of the, the, the world is just littered absolutely stuffed with hidden stuff to find and and do based on jumping into those suits and exploring and experimenting. And I think that aspect of it, which Mario never really has been about, like a little bit, I mean, stuff's hidden and you can find things, but it's really about progressing from left to right and surviving. And this, I think, is going to be all about doing things that, that oh my god i can't believe that they put this in the game i can't believe i i figured that out i can't believe that getting you know taking control of a fish and going around the corner here to where the fish isn't supposed to be and then jumping out of the water because the fish has this spew water make me jump move and i can leap up onto this platform and oh my gosh there was something there waiting for me to find that is the magic of this mario and i think it's going to be just so much of that it's it's everywhere in these kingdoms it's very and- similar to zelda it's the same type of like, is this possible? Oh my gosh, it is. Not and it necessarily seems like- so crazy in the way of like that physics, like the octo balloon airship was the best thing ever, but right. similar to that, I think. I agree. And I think it's a it's a it's a philosophical change at Nintendo that seems to be permeating many of their games of oh, this is how we can inject new kinds of fun into our franchises by just embracing the sandbox idea in a way that nobody else really has before. Does it make it less special when everything's special? Is it less special? If you're a superhero on the Avengers, someone's the worst superhero on the Avengers. And you're like, Oh, I wish I was Iron Man. Uh, because everything is possible and everything is everywhere. Do finding those moon bits or doing the thing, that a regular one that you just run up to or climb a building to, does it feel less eventful i feel like zelda balanced that because there were korok seeds everywhere or the exploration everywhere but there was still the act you know they still gave you the four temples and defeating um ganon as like this thing i think i think that's still the case here too it's like you you can just power your way through a level and get the minimum number of of stars and moons and and move on and see all of the content but the joy is going to be in discovery and I think that's really what they've doubled down on. Huh. Yeah, I'm excited. Oh, it's so soon, too. I'm really, oh, I can't. I've been waiting for this forever, it feels like. And um, man, it's finally here. It's coming. And uh, I just, I love Mario so much. I This is a very controversial thing to say. Uh, but I think most Nintendo fans, it's like you're either like a Zelda fan or a Mario fan, like more than the other. I love Zelda, but I'm a Mario girl, like 100%. Yeah. If I had to choose... 
in a terrible world where they said you can only have Mario or Zelda, I, I think I would pick Mario 100% of the time. Dudes, the 27th is Wolfenstein, I know. Assassin's Creed, Assassin's Creed, and, and Mario. Mario. What? Yeah, all on the same day. Yeah. Oh. Stranger Things is coming. I mean, it's it's going to be Good luck. a bananas <laughs> weekend. Good luck having a life. At least our show is already running long. <laughs> yeah, my child will have to feed himself somehow. But... <laughs> yeah. He's got to um, learn sometime, Jeff. He's got to learn. <laughs> Uh, hey, I have uh, I have a VR game to talk about. I'll skip it and we'll we'll talk about it next week because Lord knows there won't be anything to talk about next week, um, <laughs> right? Uh, but I do want to thank our second sponsor, which is Brooklinen. Last night I slept on my Brooklinen sheets. Me I've been too. sleeping on my Brooklinen sheets for what a month now. Christian, tell me about your experience sleeping on Brooklinen sheets. I have the white with blue polka dot or whatever. And... Ah, we went with stripies. Okay. Uh, when I, I first put them on and my wife, uh, one of our things that I've gotten better on is being more aware of changing the sheets. And my wife was like, oh, I see you changed the <gasps> new sheets too. Like I got, I got some bonus points for they were new and I changed them. And then I, I'm, I'm doing better at, it. I'm really good at dishes, bad at sheets. Anyway, she was like, I like these because <laughs> she goes, they feel shiny. And I go, well, that's not a feeling. And she goes, you know what I mean? It's fresh. And they're like, ah. So she gave me no nothing I could actually use <laughs> about like, that's, I don't think that conveys. Any, but I totally knew what she meant. It's like that that feeling of a sheet. Luxury. That, that's what luxury it, feels it like. Well, it's clean. not balling up on you. Right. It's 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 shiny. <laughs> <laughs> can I tell you can I tell you the the biggest tell for for my wife? So I'm sure you guys have this experience too. Pillows are the most exquisite, uh intricate pile the pile has a very specific formation that needs to be abided. You oh yeah, have this the- is a this is a very serious thing. I mean, there are dozens of them. There are they have very specific placements, and things go in front of other things, and large ones are in places that doesn't seem like there should be large ones, but here they are, and all this stuff. So I have learned the pillow pile placement is very specific. The Brooklyn and sheets, because they're stripy and look nice, and because they're super, they they actually have a, a nice look to them. The pillows that were previously in the back, just the, the put your head on the pillow because you're sleeping on that pillow, not the fancy show pillows. Those pillows have been miraculously brought to the fore, and now they're prominently d- displayed. I was shocked. I couldn't believe that the Brooklyn and sheets generated a new pillow pile. I couldn't believe it. So pillows were like, it, it wasn't me. It was our. It was your bad sheets, mom and dad. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so I learned it from watching uh, you. <laughs> All of that is to say that Christian and I both really dig our Brooklyn sheets. They are luxurious. They feel great. You sleep so so nice on them. I really I mean they're not some of the nicest sheets I've ever had in my life. Uh, and we're going to give you $20 off and free shipping. All you got to do is go to brooklinen.com, use the promo code DLC when you check out. That's B R O O K L I N E N.com. Use promo code DLC when you check out. You get $20 off, you'll upgrade your life. Maybe you'll, you know, save some pillows from the back of the pillow pile. Do something good for pillows today. Get Brooklinen sheets, luxury bedding, underpriced. You have to try them. These are the best sheets ever. Brooklinen.com. Promo code DLC. 
Oh, you know what that sound means. It's time for some quick questions. These are questions submitted by our listeners. You can submit your own quick questions by sending them to dlcfeedback at gmail.com. This first one comes from Aaron. He says, quick question. My girlfriend and I are having a disagreement and need a tie-breaking opinion. Which is the more useful feature, good auto-saving slash checkpoints or total button remapping? Oh, boy. Ashley? That's that's a cue. That's a real cue. Um, <laughs> I'm going to say good auto-saving and checkpoints. Okay. Christian, how about you? What do you say? I am also going to say good auto-saving and checkpoints. And I feel like the reason why is I feel like more games get that wrong than having buttons that are just unusable. A few games get that wrong, and it's uh, that kept me from loving um, uh, that fight Nintendo Punchy Punch game that came out, uh, whatever it's called. Arms. The, Arms, yeah. And I, I guess they've added that now. But like that, but more often than not, there is bad checkpointing, bad saving. So I'd rather have that because losing progress is the worst thing. Here's what I will say. I am left-handed, and I feel the pain of the button mapping thing more than most right-handed people ever will understand. That's true. I switched from Southpaw to regular pod just so I could play Gears of War. Like, it's kind of unplayable. Yeah, you can't, especially if on a PC. If you can't remap my keys on a PC game, then you're a garbage game, as far as I'm concerned. But it's still not as frustrating as bad checkpointing. If I, If you have a checkpoint, that is before a big cutscene. You're doing checkpointing wrong, wrong. If I need to, if I die after a cutscene and you make me rewatch the cutscene every time, you you're doing it wrong. And that's ultimately it's about frustration. And I get more frustrated in that sense than I do not being able to remap my buttons. So Nevermore has a great thing in the chat though. Custom button mapping makes games more accessible, which is why I'm in favor of that. That's a great argument that yeah, none of us are dealing with. Yeah. Excellent point. I also like the Indian dude who says uh, left handed. Oh, Jeff, come right. on. That's his name. That's his online name. That's his handle here. Uh, he says left handed unite, and I'm with him. I think that is actually you. So. <laughs> uh, all right. Quick question. This one comes from Matt G. He says your recent discussion about the free roam tourist mode in the upcoming Assassin's Creed game got me thinking about the role of games in education. I remember games being coupled with education during my grammar school days. He doesn't say Oregon Trail, but we all know he's thinking it. Uh, But it seems like now developers have abandoned this pursuit in search of more money elsewhere. In a world where people chop wood and smith daggers in a game for hours on end, is it so far-fetched that a game asks you to stop wasting your time and instead asks you to grow as a real person in order to accrue progress and character development? Here's my question. Will gaming ever reach its potential to make learning easier and fun? Ashley. So my, I mean, I kind of have a question back. Do you have kids? Because there are tons of educational games out there. Very similar to what we played when we were kids, like Math I have Blasters. a question for you. Do you have kids? <laughs> my dogs are really good at these mobile games, Christian. They are really good at them. Um, I, I have friends with kids that I hang out with a lot, and I see them always using their iPads and it's just educational game after educational game after educational game, video, etc. Um, I think that we are just not seeing traditional developers that we are used to making those games anymore. 
Um, so, you know, like when we were kids, we had Sierra and we had, we had Atari making these games, like all these bigger companies were kind of involved in them because there wasn't anybody else. But now that it's easier for anybody to learn to code and make a game, um, I think that we are making learning easier and fun. And I, I absolutely believe in, I mean, we even have to do apps for adults that gamify your day. So, um, so I think. I think that we have, it's just that we are not actively looking for them um, as adults, maybe, uh, unless you have kids and so um, who are like just that right age to kind of be playing those games and stuff. Uh, But also, I mean, there are games that sort of make us uh, develop character. So there's a, this is like super weird and super interesting. There's a game that just came out on PC and Mac called A Mortician's Tale. And I don't know if you guys have talked about this Mm-mm. on your show. It's a narrative-driven, death-positive video game. And you you are a mortician, and you have to run a funeral home. And it's a, it's a beautiful little indie game. It, it doesn't take you very long to play. And you <laughs> recently graduate uh, funeral directors. You get your degree in funeral directing, and you learn the ropes. And, um, and basically... Uh, there is this woman in Los Angeles named Caitlin Doughty who writes uh, – a, she has a website called The Order of the Good Death where she says she's a funeral director and she believes that uh, the death sort of quote-unquote industry is like very cold and it's very um, sterile and it shouldn't be. Yeah, yeah. And it shouldn't be. It, we should – you know, we should really like go back to some of the ways that we used to honor our dead and like that's a really good way to sort of educate people on that and to make them less afraid of death. Um, and, uh, it's just a simple little indie game. But the thing is, is I feel like those types of indie games really help us grow as people and learn about things that we might not otherwise know. So, um, to me, I think it's there. It's just, uh, maybe we're not seeing Operation Frog, which I played religiously as a kid, um, in the same way. Like we're not seeing it as prominent. I think it's a really awesome answer. Uh, uh, Christian, top that. Oh, what she said. Um, <laughs> education. Yeah, they're there. I think what we've seen is that there is a dedicated market for it. And it's not that the main company, like the traditional companies that we think of aren't making games for it. It's that other companies have come along and do it better. And that is their core business. And you have things even like Leapfrog that is still very viable and very real and, you know, creating a bunch of games that are entertaining and educational. And my daughter's you know, love stuff on the iPad that are teaching them things. I, at least I hope so. They want, it's like this PewDiePie game and it teaches them so much. Oh, and, no. no, that's not that game. Uh, it exists and it's out there. It's just not in, and they're teaching it at school too. And, and Minecraft has an education version that is sold to schools and there are programming games. Um, my daughter was too young to take the full class, my oldest, but she went to like a demo of like coding and it was all taught through games and Lego and stuff like that. So they're out there. That's what I was going to bring up is that even if the games themselves aren't, aren't, aren't always teaching stuff, which I agree with both of what you guys have said, but I think the fact that people are learning how to make games now in a way that never existed before, where you literally have people with these tools that are so much more accessible and uh, younger people are encouraged to, you know, build robots. And I did this, I went to this event in san francisco where i talked to a bunch of kids that are that do that as part of their school curriculum like they build robots they program stuff and it's awesome man it's it's i think that stuff is is happening and it's certainly cause for excitement also in the chat uh, nevermore 913 says tabletop games can be really educational too couldn't agree more with that there's a lot of those 
All right, quick question. This comes from Colin. He says, our office is prepping for some Halloween fun, and we were thinking about bringing on a few VR headsets to scare the crap out of our coworkers. Most people probably won't be under the hood for more than five to ten minutes at a time, so we're trying to steer away from the longer form, psychological horror, and more towards jump scares. What would you recommend as the best VR titles for relatively short session scares? Can be PSVR or PC-based. We have access to all platforms. I don't know if you guys are... Uh, up on this stuff, but I thought I'd throw it out anyway because I think it's a fun Halloween-themed question. Ashley, do you have any ideas? Did uh, did that Paranormal Activity VR experience ever come out? I'm not sure. I never played it, so I don't know, but uh, maybe. Yeah, I, I think know. it did. I think it's called, like, The Lost Soul or something like that. Um, I've actually heard it's, like, pretty decent, and it's kind of a shorter experience. Yeah. Um, but, of course, like, uh, the one hard thing is is anytime you have something that is horror... Uh, you can't just immediately jump into the scares, right? You have to ratchet up the tension. So anything is going to be a little bit longer, maybe than like a, f- a few minutes of an experience, you know? Right. Maybe you get like one good jump scare for that five minutes, maybe two for 10. Like it's kind of tough. Well, there's a really good game that's available on PSVR. I think it's also on PC VR uh, called Rush of Blood. It's a Until Dawn Rush of Blood. And it scares you fast <laughs> and it is lots of jump scares. And it is uh, basically you are in an abandoned amusement park. You're on a, uh, a roller coaster, slow moving roller coaster ride, almost like um, it's a small world kind of slow moving thing and clowns pop out and want to kill you and you have to shoot them uh, all the while sort of being on an amusement park where you're shooting plates and balloons and stuff too. But sometimes it's an evil clown that wants to eat you. Mm-hmm. Terrifying. It's terrifying. And there's, I was going to recommend two that are atypical because I think you have some like that. And I think dropping someone into the middle of Resident Evil 7, just let them walk around. Like you, <laughs> yeah, just try let to somebody walk there. around. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, like mid, mid game, plop them in. They hear someone going, oh, and like coming toward them. They'll get it. You know, <laughs> like it's terrifying. But if you have a couple of coworkers do that and they're expecting that type of horror, I think you can totally change the pace. And I forget the name of it because I didn't look ahead at this question. But there's that shark undersea demo where that shark is a jump scare. Mm. Oh, yeah. I think the one, uh, like, PlayStation Worlds. Yeah, PlayStation Worlds. Yeah. That, I don't remember shark. if it's PlayStation or cage. Oculus. But like, PlayStation yeah, one, has a shark. Yeah. Okay. I think Oculus does too. And you're like down there and you're like, this is so – and it lulls you into like undersea oh, is so be- – and then wham. And then there's – there's, I did it on DevKit 2, and maybe I'll look up the name and try to tweet it out. But on way back when, on DevKit 2, there was a roller coaster demo that totally lulled. It was like, oh, this is so neat. And I have a video of my wife doing it. And the whole thing is pretty gradual. And you're just kind of like, it feels like you're on, you know, the Dumbo Circus at Disneyland kind of thing. And then it comes around a corner, and there's scenery, so you can't quite see. Then it comes around a corner, and it just launches you up and then drops you down. And my wife, like, pushed back on the rolly chair and, like, the headset flew off <laughs> like she jumped so big my little brother was like my dev kit um but something like that i really like because it's yeah. not hor- it's not like we're going to skip and then wham i have it. i have an even better one so if you if you want to really go full full hog on this one and uh have a really awesome experience that, that'll freak people out what you do is you get a game called keep balance vr that's on steam and then you buy a two by four Oh yeah. And you bring oh, yeah, the two yeah. by four into the office and you s- let them stand on the two by four. And it's, it's all about walking along a, a very thin rail high above the world. <laughs> and you're just like, horrific. 
it's they, terrifying. They and did could, that for that movie. They demoed that. Uh, yeah, the, the Wire or whatever. The wire. It was. Man on Wire. They have that at the VR, the IMAX VR Experience Center. Um, they actually have a uh, a rope laid on the ground, a thick rope, and then you stand on it, and they give you, and then, and then there is uh, a fan blowing on you. That's <laughs> good. Absolutely too. Yeah. awful. Like it's just terrifying. Um, another. I just thought of one. Um, Sisters has a demo. It's the. I don't think the game, the full game, is out, but the demo is pretty good. You stand in a room and you look around and like creepy things happen, and it's pretty short. So um, that might be a good. It's called Sisters. It's like that might be a good one to check out. It's free. Put so. on the VR helmet, and then while they're playing like a really peaceful VR game, you put a pink slip in front of them. <laughs> Aww. <laughs> All right, last one. Quick question. Uh, this comes from Michael. He says, "What Disney movie or show from the last twenty years do you really wish had a Capcom made SNES or Genesis game? And what do you imagine it being like?" This this is I think in reference to Christian going crazy about his retro gaming aladdin and They're lion so king this stuff. one's easy this one's easy but i'll let you guys answer first all right ashley what would you wish was made from the last 20 years of disney canon what disney movie or show oh my god um i feel like i want to say uh well is this pixar count as disney because it's sure okay yes um hmm Oh god, I don't know. I don't know what I would pick. We'll, I feel like we'll Wreck back Ralph would be really fun, but I feel like that's an eight bit game. That's not an SNES game. So come back, come back around to me. Swing back. I think back. actually Wreck It Ralph is a great answer, but uh, Christian, you sounded like you had one queued up and ready to rock. Yeah. Oh, I just realized. I don't know if it fits because it's the last twenty years. It's too old. My, I I wow. wish that they had done Little Mermaid. I, I a Little Mermaid like meets Echo the Dolphin like with that beautiful I in the era. Well, listen, but I misread the question. That game was dope. The NES game for Little Mermaid was amazing. But I want that 16-bit, beautiful... 16-bit Echo the Dolphin action. Yeah, I think that'd be awesome. But that, that I misread the question because that's 89 is when Little Mermaid Guys, Moana! Moana! That's a good one. Moana's so good! As a 16-bit game? Yes, dude! You have, like, you have team battles with The Rock, and you have, you know, you, like, you can summon him in to have special attacks, and you could be... You could have water levels and non-water levels, and you have like the special water genie that creates waves for you and does cool stuff. And she like it has a boss battle at the end. I don't want to spoil Moana for everybody, but it's got a freaking awesome boss battle at the end of that movie. I think Tangled could be pretty great, also. Mm. Moana, guys, Moana. Her hair. You have a swing mechanic. You're running through, you know, doing a bunch of fun stuff. I got I, it. I could, I could see that. I figured it out. Okay. Uh, this is what I was thinking of. Big Hero 6. That's, that's the oh, game I want yeah, as NES. So Big Hero 6. Mm. That's what I want. Baymax. And I want to I have my friends. I want to fight together. Like, do Man, great. Good boss that's battle. That's so good. A, a what Big about, Hero 6 is the one I'm in for. What about PJ Masks? Anyone? PJ Masks? PJ Masks. I mean, what is that? Disney Junior. PJ Masks. PJ Masks. Right. PJ Masks. But, but PJ Masks. Colin becomes Catboy. Yeah, that's good. All right. Moving on. Uh, that's going to do it for this episode of DLC. We do have our parting gift coming up, so stick around for that. But Ashley Esqueda, you're the best. I love you. No, Thanks for being you. here. Thanks, thanks for, for having thanks for doing me. this. Always a pleasure. You guys are just delightful people. Oh, you are. Uh, I didn't mention at the top, you are a uh, senior editor at CNET, and you're now also co-host of the Nerdist's Alpha Comic Book Club. Congrats on that. Yeah, it's really fun. It's 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 basically a book club, but for comics. And so every week we come in and we read either, you know, a volume or, you know, a trade or 
something like that. And we've had some really cool guests. We had Matt Fraction come in. Oh, and wow. Phil, Phil Jimenez, Kelly Sudaconic. We had Paul Dini come in and talk about Harley Quinn because she just turned nice. 25. Um, yeah, so we have, we've had some really great guests. It's on the Nerdist Alpha uh, network, which is their subscription service. But it's only five bucks a month, and they do some other cool stuff like Critical Role and um, – they do uh, this really great show with Amy Vorpal and uh, Darren DePaul, which is the voice of Reinhardt in Overwatch. They do a morning show, oh, wow. and um, it's it's actually it's pretty good. I, I like it a lot. And then, of course, like Jessica Chobot and Hector Navarro, who's one of my co-hosts, does Mothership on Thursdays. They have some great guests and stuff. So it's I, I feel like it's worth five bucks if you have it. If not, it's no big deal. Like that's cool too. Cool. Uh, what what else? What what else can people keep up with what you're doing? Well, clearly, I'll be going on tour with the Foo Fighters after seeing oh. them. Uh, <laughs> so awesome. No, I, I, I'm. That's like generally it. I, I have a little newsletter that I write every week. It's a little creative writing exercise that I kind of force myself to do by having people who are waiting for it every week. So uh, every Sunday, I send out a little uh, creative writing thing, like either a little short story or a script or a scene or you know something. And it's um, tinyletter.com slash head glitch. Um, and so it's but it's fun and I really like it. And this week I wrote a horror story about a man who witnesses a who's doing something very maybe a little bad and then um, witnesses a murder. So uh, it's like kind of fun. So, um, yeah, I, I, I really like it. Very cool. Awesome. I didn't know about that. That's rad. Yeah. Christian, how about you? What do you got going on? This Friday, if you're in L.A. for TwitchCon, I'm doing a show. I think it's a 9 p.m. show at Flappers Comedy Club in Burbank, which is not near Long Beach, per se, in TwitchCon. But if you're in town you want to see me, you can see me there. And then Saturday, I will be hitting the floor at TwitchCon. So if you're at if you're at TwitchCon, come say hi. It'll be my first TwitchCon, so I'm excited to, uh, to check that out. I'll only be there Saturday, unfortunately, but I should be there most of the day. And then it's further out, but I know I'm not in L.A. for it. And people ask for non-California dates. I will be in Salt Lake City at Wise Guys December 14th, 15th, 16th, and 17th. It's Thursday through Sunday. So come see The Last Jedi with me and then come to some shows. I'll be there with Justin Willman, who you've seen probably everywhere. He's he's incredible. So I'm excited about those. And then Twitch, which is Christian Spicer. And YouTube, Christian Spicer 713 is where all my gaming stuff is. You can watch my Shadow of War streams and find my Destiny campaign review and stuff like that there. Cool, man. I'm actually going to start streaming regularly as well. I'm teaming up with Caffeine. Yeah. Starting a show. Doing a show. It's going to be called Hot's Lunch. It's going to be on Wednesday, starting this Wednesday at noon. From noon to one. Hot Slunch, we're going to be playing Heroes of the Storm. I'm teaming up. Got Kyle Ferguson, who is a professional Hots coach and also the, the co-host on Into the Nexus, which is a show I, I'm on once a month. Um, I managed to talk him into coaching me and others. We're not exactly sure how the show is going to work, but I'm my goal is to get better. <laughs> so you can watch me try to get better. We'll probably also be looking at viewers replays if we want and, and critiquing that. He is a wealth of knowledge, a positive guy, an awesome dude, and a very, very good HOTS player. So hopefully it'll mean that I improve my skills and uh, and climb up the ranks. So that's that's my goal. Uh, and again, that starts this Wednesday at noon on caffeine.tv slash Jeff Canada. I also have uh, other shows. You can listen to me talk about video games every day. I uh, do a short 
quick 10-minute show every single day about video games that'll keep you up to date. Really cool. It's called Newest, Latest, Best. You can find it on iTunes or Google Play, and you can also find it at anchor.fm slash NLB. I have the slash filmcast, talking about movies and TV shows at slash filmcast.com, and the comedy science show We Have Concerns at wehaveconcerns.com. All right. Let's wrap the show up now with our parting gift. Hey, give us a suggestion of what to do this week. Give us a parting gift. This is your parting gift. Ashley, do you have a suggestion to help people get through their week? Oh, man, I have a really good one. Um, Great. We're actually reading it right now in Alpha Comic Book Club, and I am absolutely loving it. It's a little bit old, uh, but it's called Planetary. And uh, comic book fans out there will almost definitely have either heard of it or have read it because it's so great. Um, I'm actually reading the Omnibus, which is the full giant book of all of the issues. Uh, But it's, it's really cool because it's sort of this alternate universe team of four people. And um, they are sort of archaeologists of the weird and strange. And it's uh, it's really neat. And they're every episode or every uh, issue, every chapter is sort of an homage to something. So uh, it might be the Silver Surfer or there's an there's literally a chapter that is an homage to old 1950s pulp movies. Uh, There's one that is an homage to old Japanese monster films like Godzilla. Then there's another one that is this sort of homage love letter to uh, Hong Kong action, like cop movies. Um, There's a ghost cop. And so it's so good. But somehow it all ties together. The artwork is absolutely beautiful. It's uh, really compelling stuff. I'm really enjoying it. And I can't believe I waited this long to read it. Uh, It's been out for quite a while. But yeah, Planetary, I highly recommend it. Definitely second that. Warren Ellis and John Cassidy is the team behind that. And they are. What have they ever done? I know. What have those guys ever done? Ugh. But there, I mean, it's uh, the writing is so good. The art is so beautiful. The 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 story is so excellent. I mean, there is I cannot speak highly enough of it. And if you love any kind of comic book or graphic novel, you must read Planetary. It is so so good. Second that, Christian. How about you? You got a parting gift? Oh, I got three quickies. One is three quickies. Terra chips, original sea salt, real vegetable oh, chips. Been snacking the on them. Mentioned and constantly being eaten. They're so good. That's a quickie. I had to mention it because the chat would want me to mention it. Number two, I got my first G Sync computer monitor. Uh, only a couple hours behind the screen, but I am in love. It's very expensive, especially compared to FreeSync. But I got a good deal. Blah blah blah. But if you haven't taken that leap, uh, I really like it. It's so buttery smooth. And the third, and the one I have planned, and the big one, Tim, our friend at The Midnight, and The Midnight, they have a new album out, Nocturnal. It's on Bandcamp right now. It's coming It's coming everywhere um, soon. I know it's good. you'll find it on like iTunes, Spotify, stuff like that, I believe. But man, Tim is just the coolest dude. And they're actually doing a live show in LA soon, too. So Jeff, I'm going. You should go. Yeah, and, we should go. Uh, the Nocturnal is... Awesome by The Midnight. Literally had it on last night as I was cooking my blue apron. Uh, It's so, so good. Um, Yeah. The Midnight is – I don't think there's a better band to put on in your car with the windows down on a cool night. Just drive. It's so good. 
But I'll tell you how I, I came to the midnight, honestly, was because I had talked so much about one of my very favorite bands, which is called Stars. And Tim, I think, reached out to me and said, hey, if you like Stars, you should check out my album, uh, The Midnight. The crazy thing is The Midnight album and a new Stars album were released on the same day this week. The new Stars album is called There Is No Love in Fluorescent Light. It is also brilliant and wonderful. So do yourself a favor. Get both of those albums. You will not regret it. They're both incredible pieces of work. Stars, There Is No Love in the Fluorescent Light, and The Midnight's new album, Nocturnal. That's going to do it for this episode of DLC. Thanks to Ashley Esqueda and Christian Spicer for hanging out with me. Thanks to all of you in the chat room who hung out with us in real time and made the, the show better by being here. Uh, thanks to our musical contributors, Patrick L., Sean Madigan, and Zero Star for making those bumpers. And thanks to every one of you that downloaded the show. We appreciate it. It means a lot to us. Thanks for telling your friends about the show and giving us nice reviews on your platform of choice. We'll be back next week. Until then, think about what you put out into the world. Make it a better place.